Wow, man, we haven't been we haven't done this in a very long time. This is um uh, uh, for those of you who used to listen to us uh, a year ago, uh, welcome back. For those of you who haven't, uh, we're the soupy soupy the soupy whisker bros. We're extremely soupy. We're the we're the, uh, but we're actually the super whiskey bros. Uh, I am Sean, and that is Tyler, and we are legitimate brothers, and we're super, we're and we're made of whiskey. <laughs> All those things seem legitimate. Speaking of whiskey, Tyler, what are you drinking? I actually got a little bit of Old Hammer. Um, I don't know, it but it sounds beautiful. It's it's not as good as I wanted it to be. It's it's a little, it's aggressively. <clears throat> I hate pretending like I know how to talk about this. Um, it's too sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it's it's um. I always want to say malty because that's what beer is when it's too sweet. But this is just too sweet. Ah yes, sweet. Remember how much I hated Monkey Shoulder. It's like yeah. a better version of how I hate monkey shoulder. Okay, so uh, if you don't like sweet, you need to um, check out some rye, maybe. Rye is uh, uh, the it's spicy. It's very good. You like spice. I like it yeah. when it hurts me. When it hurts mm-hmm. me in the mouth. Mm-hmm. So I am uh, I'm trying something that I haven't tried. Well, I say I haven't tried before. I tried it uh, yeah, yesterday or Thursday night one. I don't remember, but um, uh, this was my my this was my first bottle of it ever. It's a seventeen ninety two small batch, and it is it's really good. Um, it's I don't want to say sweet, right? Because like it's not particularly sweet for a bourbon but it has you also don't want to say that because it's boring when people talk about whiskey being sweet like i just did yeah exactly Uh, i don't like to do the boring things that you do um uh, no like it's not like particularly sweet for a bourbon it just has the classic bourbon sweetness and there's something that you'd think i would hate because i don't like these things as much as uh probably as much as you do and definitely as much as most people do but every time I drink it, the thought pops up in my mind of those, uh, like, what are they called? Like butter cookies or whatever, the mm-hmm. a billion yeah. cookies in a tin uh, yeah, yeah. with, with uh, Santa Claus on it <clears throat> that every grandmother those, has. Yeah, aren't, those are terrible, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, like, I don't like them, but, like, my mind goes to that place, and it's a comforting place. <laughs> That's fair. Comforted by all the grandmothers out there. Thanks, Grandma. This whiskey's for you. All I know is I was always disappointed when I opened up one of those tins, and it had those cookies in it because I was always expecting it to have uh, caramel corn in it. Well, not, not as disappointed as not caramel corn the candy, caramel popcorn. Ugh. Well, not as disappointed as both of our grandmothers would be if they knew we were sitting here talking about whiskey and tobacco. Yes. <laughs> so there is that. Oh, you know. <laughs> Speaking of tobacco. Speaking of tobacco. Gra- did you grabbing a pipe? Yes, I did. I did. So in a turn of events, I, I actually normally, as you know, mm-hmm. I normally smoke out of uh, out of the pipe that you made me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I, 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 I usually leave that at work because I'm there the most. So I've actually gotten the very first pipe 
I think you gave this to me too because you got me started with most of it. It's of that corn, one of those uh, cheap corn cob pipes. Mm-hmm. And I was going to smoke some old Toby that I got at the Renaissance Festival, but when I opened up leaf. my bag, no, oh, thank you. No, wait a minute. I got both. Mm. I got both. Um, I was saying, unless she started recently, she hasn't didn't have an old Toby blend. I made an old Toby blend, and I think I thought I gave you some, but. Well, that's what I was about to. That's what I was about. What I was getting to there when I opened up my smoking bag, I found a bag of Sean's old Toby. (laughs) (laughs) It's too bad you don't have any more because this would be technically it would be even better than the old Toby that I made, Uh, and I don't have any with me because all my all my real stuff is in a storage building. But Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's too bad you don't have the. the uh the capstan navy i do so you still have uh because that 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 would be that that would be technically even better um uh for a well, thing te- right now so here's the thing i figured um in homage if i do mm-hmm. half a bowl of old toby and half a bowl of the capstan considering mm-hmm. the two t- that we're two focusing on yeah two people the most here seem mm-hmm. appropriate to me yeah now um uh, I I don't have any of my stuff so I have to have the the stuff that I bought most recently. Uh so I I don't have any of my mixes or any of the cool uh blends or anything. So I right now am I'm uh smoking Cup of Joe's Sutliff English Blend number 502. Oh number 502. How was the 501? Hmm. Not sure. My only order from Cup of Joe's. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <clears throat> but um uh so me saying that about the two blends was kind of a segue, if you will, and you will. I will. I do. Into the topic at hand for this morning. Into the topic at hand, yes. So there are uh, – the topic at hand today, and this is a, a topic that we will pop onto uh, several times in the future, I'm sure. Uh, but the topic today uh, revolves around one Professor John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Uh, he um uh, not one of them the yes yes the 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 very particular the famous one uh of of the uh great britain tolkien's um uh-huh. uh specifically uh the topics of the tolkien society summer seminar of this year and an article a, an old article a 2003 article by Yohan hari um, uh, titled "The Wrong Lord of the Reeds." Uh, one is about how Lord of the Rings bad, and the other about is well. We'll get to that later. Um, the Wrong Lord of the Reeds. The article is what we're going over first, and we'll we'll get to the we'll get to that seminar when we get to it. Anyways, uh, do you have the article open in front of you? I do. Okay, so uh, uh, I'm sure the people at home do not. Uh, on YouTube, I'll have pictures of what we're talking about on here but if you're on the podcast you can't see pictures very well um i will link the articles and the links like in the in the show notes um uh i'll all the links that were that were uh are all the the things that we're talking about today i'll link in the show notes but uh for you know so you can go along i'm going to read each segment before we talk about it i think that's fair so here's mm-hmm. how the article starts off the first paragraph reads thusly when Waterstones named Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings as the best novel of the 20th century, Germaine Greer offered a lament. 
Ever since I arrived at Cambridge as a student in 1964 and encountered a tribe of fully grown women wearing puffed sleeves, clutching teddies, and babbling excitedly about the doings of hobbits, she said, it has been my nightmare that Tolkien would turn out to be the most influential writer of the 20th century. The bad dream has been realized. So that is, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the next sentence uh, on there so, so we can give this person's opinion of Germaine Grimier, Germaine Grimier, Germaine Greer. Um, uh, of th th this man's opinion of what she said. The, ne the very first sentence in the next paragraph says, and we haven't woken up yet. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I have something to say about this paragraph. Um, uh, because th this is just me. I, I wanted to see, like, you know, I wanted to see, you know, where this guy is coming from, right? Because that's, it, at first this is going to seem like it could be an ad hominem argument, both against him and against Jermaine Greer. But it's not, right? I'm not attacking this man, and I'm not attacking this woman, either one. Um, uh, but <clears throat> I, I do have something to say about that, because if you can see, like, you know, where a person's coming from, you can get an idea of, like, you know, or you, you, can, you have an idea of who this person is as a person, and you have an idea, like, you know, like, oh, you think this, you believe this way, then we have no middle ground here. Like, I can attack your argument, but there's there's nowhere where you can say, okay, I agree with you here, but let's, you know, let's do this. And, and you can figure out whether whether you can ever have that middle ground by seeing what a person, you know, where a person stands, right? This um, is uh, the way. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and so I'm going to give you, a, so my, my first thing is, just thinking about this from a writing perspective, right? This guy, um, like you, you, you'd think that he wouldn't uh, just quote it and then say, "And I agree with that statement." Um, uh, like if he thought Jermaine Greer was a bad person, he would have said something like, "And while I don't like Jermaine Greer, I sure agree with this sentiment." You know, like you'd put that in there because you expect if you're gonna quote someone. Unless you're using them as a bad example, you think of this person as good. You're on the same side as this person for the most part, right? I mean, like, I, it, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for me to say, you know, like, like I, I guess, I guess, um, uh, no, like here, here's how I would, here's how I would quote this, right? If I said, <clears throat> anyone can deal with victory, only the mighty can bear defeat. Now, I don't like Adolf Hitler, but that was a cool thing that he said. That's how I would say it, right? <clears throat> you know, so, so. So, 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 so you can know that, hey, you know, yeah, Adolf Hitler said that. Like, that is a pretty, I mean, you got to admit, that's a pretty cool quote. Anyone can yeah. deal with victory, only the mighty can bear defeat. That sounds cool. But obviously, but I have to, then I have to add this in real fast because I'm not just going to say, say, you know, I believe it was Hitler who said, you know, <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to put that in there. And so I am, uh, uh, and so, you know, I'm, uh, and so for that reason, I have to assume that this man thinks Jermaine Greer is a good person. Right. Right. Okay. So now let me talk about Jermaine Greer for a minute. So we, now we can know who this man associates with. So we can, so, so I can show you this man is not coming from a good place. Um, uh, <clears throat> Jermaine Greer, um, uh, she was, you know, lifted up and exalted as one of the primary voices of the radical feminist movement in the sixties and seventies. Um, Wonderful. uh, 
And, you know, and then she said before that she doesn't, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about what the movement believes. Uh, I did write that down, but uh, that doesn't, because she said before that she doesn't agree with most of what the movement says, and she actually doesn't like women. Um, uh, uh, you know, take that however, you know, however you mean that to, to mean, but Hmm. um, uh, I was, I'm going to give you some of the stuff that she said here. Let me, um, uh. Uh, uh, now this is a, uh, a fairly well a, a direct copy um, uh, from like so stuff that like her, uh, her biographers and a few people that wrote about her. So this is, from what I can tell, people on her side said these things about her. In 1969, she created a porn magazine called Suck. Um, uh, in one issue, I believe it was issue seven. Uh, printed in well, she started in 1969. Issue seven was probably in 1969, 1970. Um, uh, this is a direct quote. It had an image of a man holding a screaming woman with her legs in the air while another rapes her anally. And um. this this was her idea. One of Gru's biographers named Elizabeth Kleinhens wrote that quote almost nothing was off limits for Suck, including descriptions of child abuse, incest, and bestiality. Okay. In 2003, Greer wrote a book called The Boy. Greer herself described this book as an attempt to address the modern woman's apparent in, apparent indifference to the teenage boy as a sexual object and to, quote, advance women's reclamation of their capacity for and right to visual pleasure. Hmm. Oh, she also wrote that the animal world had, quote, finally taken its revenge when Steve Irwin died. Yeah, see, I could, I could almost get, get like, we're like, well, you know, different people have their different. No, that's too far. <laughs> and so um, this, this, this is the chick that this man is is wanting to associate himself with. Yeah, we're. I'm good. I don't need any um uh, stingray <clears throat> apologists. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Hashtag stingray did nothing wrong. <laughs> Hashtag stingray. <laughs> So that really sets the tone for how ridiculously, um, mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? There's this very um, um, postmodernist, stupid. yeah, stupid postmodernist neo-Marxist approach to this article. Uh-huh. Um, Funny you should mention like that the that word Marxist is going to come up again. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, if you uh, do, you have anything else about Jermaine Greer, or do you, do you, oh, do you no, think no, I've no. bashed her enough? <laughs> all, I, all I care about is that she hated Steve Irwin. <clears throat> yeah, she hated Steve Irwin and women, and really, those are the two things I care the most about in life. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay. So uh, going back to um, uh, going back to Yo in here. The BBC's Big Read competition to find Britain's favorite book reached its climax this weekend, and Tolkien is odds-on favorite to win. Now, this, that's not this weekend. That this Again, this article was written in 2003. It, it still deserves it this year, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it deserves it every year, absolutely. Um, uh, oh, oh, that, 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 that does make me think. I didn't know when I wanted to put this in, but I am going to, to put this in now when you said it deserves it this year, too. This is... Um, uh, a very interesting take from uh, from, from an author um, uh, who is uh, like I, I think you agree with me that J.R. Tolkien is the best uh, fantasy writer of the twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, I can hold it for that. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, you, the, you know, we, you and I, you know, there's arguments sake that we, you and I, both might fight for. He's the greatest fantasy author of all time, but definitely of the 20th century. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, in my opinion, the best or my favorite author of the fantasy author of the 21st century is Brent Weeks, and he made a statement about Tolkien, <clears throat> um, uh, and it, it was very interesting, um. Uh, uh, when you, you mentioned that he deserves to win, you know, this year as well, and I agree with that statement. But it's 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 interesting what he what Brent Weeks said. Uh, he said there is. Uh, I, I I'm not going to quote him exactly because I don't remember the exact quote. <clears throat> but he said, "Um, uh, the ending to the Lord of the Rings shows a lot about Tolkien's writing style." Um, uh, it said uh, because like the the ending he started with a very big ending. Um, uh, uh, here, here, here we go. He said, uh, uh, I, I guess I need to say this before I talk about the ending. He said, Tolkien is the rock on whom fantasy authors anchor. Um, uh, but as of right now, Brandon Sanderson, um, and in recent years, uh, is kind of taking Tolkien's place as the, the person on whom, you know, people like to say, who, okay, who am I going to reference in this book? The number one is Tolkien, but Brandon Sanderson is kind of starting to take his place as as that in in that position. And he said, it, "The reasons for that seems to be is that what the modern reader wants to read and how they want to read is starting to shift." He said, and he gave the example of endings. He said Brandon Sanderson's endings are always he has these big endings, but they're over quickly. Said, so, and the Lord of the Rings said it starts off with a big ending. Uh, but then the ending continues, and and it and as the ending gets longer, it gets smaller. Um, and so like it starts off like you know, like Brandon Sanderson says, "Here's the fate of the world," and that's the fate of the world. Here's what happened to our heroes. Tolkien said, "Here's the fate of the world," and now here's the fate of the West, and now here's the fate of the Shire, and now here's the fate of Bag End, and now here's the fate of Frodo, and he does that over you know seventy pages. And I, I I do think because I really I really like the Indian Lord of the Rings and I think anyone who loves the story uh, does also. But that is an interesting point, you know. Um, uh, that like like you know it 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 does make sense that you know what people the way people want to read will change, especially in today's age of instant gratification. A Brandon Sanderson ending that's over in ten pages uh, will be more satisfying to a person like that than uh, an Indian that takes fifty pages. But that's not this guy, though. You know, this this guy thinks it's actively bad. Not and, and you know, because I think that's that's a legitimate argument to say, hey, you know, here's something that I don't like about Lord of the Rings, and that's something that you know we could talk about. This guy, though, this guy, though. <laughs> you see, you and I have outside of this had this conversation mm -hmm. um, probably a couple times. This is um not to get off the subject like we're currently doing. Yeah, absolutely. But, mm -hmm. but this is um the why we uh like Christopher Paolini so much mm -hmm. um that's kind of the same thing you think about the the ending to the inheritance cycle uh -huh. um I mean it's every bit of 70 pages long yeah um, uh, yeah but without that, too much question yeah but the the difference though between the ending to the Lord of the Rings and the ending to inheritance is that the ending to inheritance kind of sucked well <laughs> there is that but I mean it's still like really shut <laughs> down I mean you think about um mm -hmm. uh, I always kind of compare how people structure their stories. I always want to hold it up next to um, an example of Joseph Campbell, um, Hero's mm -hmm. Journey. Um, mm -hmm. 
because you've always got this um that wheel to kind of always go around if you will um there there's um there's a really there's a more advanced version if you've ever seen the hero's journey wheel um it, it kind of just like shows the basic points of the story and part of it exists in the normal world and part of it exists in the special world and all that kind of stuff but then there's a very particular um version of the hero's journey that changes um or that that allows for what Joseph Campbell kind of called like more complex endings and essentially means it runs you through the, that a few steps of the ending cycle more than once. And the reason for that is to show total resolution on more than one plane if the author has decided to write about more than one plane, which is very much uh, token because you mm -hmm. think about like you just said, like, OK, so now we have like Sauron's defeated. OK, well, now we have to go. You know, Aragorn has to go become king of Gondor. We have to do all this. Okay, well, now we have to go see the Rohirrim go back home. Okay, the Rohirrim go back home. Okay, that's good. Okay, well, now we have to make sure that as we're traveling all back through in this funeral procession, we have to see if Saruman still Isengard. Okay, we're, well, the ends are fine. So the ends are wrapped up there. And okay, well, let's keep going down here. And, you know, then you have like, okay, well, again, now Gimli. And, you know, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And then you actually have a whole other ending in the Shire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you still have more stuff after that. So I mean, like then you get to wrap up the world with people traveling west. It's I mean, it, it's it, it it makes him. It's what makes him the greatest author is the ending. I mean, the whole book's mm -hmm. great, but the ending is what really makes him like the author. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually going. I'll go back to something else that Brent Weeks said because he was talking about what makes a good ending. Um, uh, and he said what makes a good ending is fulfilling the promises you made previously as an author. Yep. He said um. Uh, you um uh, uh and because you he was talking about his book uh he was right he said i would like to end my book this way and then he went back to one of his older books and said no i already said this was going to happen so i have to change my ending but um uh, uh and, and he said the reason why it's so hard to end is it's so hard to end a fantasy novel is because fantasy authors they they don't really like beginnings too much because it's hard to begin a fantasy novel and they don't really like endings too much because it's hard to end a fantasy novel um, uh, but they love middles and you just, you, you write a middle and you write another middle and you write another middle and just keep stacking up these middles and somehow your ending has to tie these all together. And yeah, Tolkien did that beautifully. And I think Brent Weeks does it well too, which is why I like to reference him. So, uh, I must, uh, apologize to everyone in, in the podcast now. Um, uh, the, I, I'm in the only room in which my child has available to play. So he will be playing in the background. I'll probably <laughs> have my child in here eventually as well. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, it's, you know, one of the hazards of being a dad. <laughs> the success of his dire trilogy obviously cannot be attributed to literary merit. The great critic Edmund Wilson called it balderdash and juvenile trash when it was first published, and it's hard to disagree. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Edmund Wilson uh, was referred to as the great critic, um, uh, and I don't know if I'd call him the great critic. Um, uh, uh let's, um, uh... I'm not going to read the entire review because it's long, but um, uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna read uh I'm, I'm gonna read this part of his thing right now. Which also, by the way, let's talk about where Edmund Wilson is coming from. Right, he was a, also an author. Most of his books primarily featured Freudian and Marxist themes. So, there okay. you have it. So now you know where Edmund Wilson's coming from as 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 a you know his his point of view that he'll be reviewing books from. 
a Freudian and a Marxist. Neither of those sound like someone who would agree with anything Tolkien had to say. But yeah, uh, this is the only excerpt from his review that I'm going to read because it's really the only one that really makes a difference. Except when he is being pedantic and also boring, the adult. Except when he is being pedantic and also boring the adult reader, there is little in the Lord of the Rings over the head of a seven-year-old child. Certainly, it has no allegorical intentions, general, political, or topical, moral, religious, or political, or particular or topical, moral, religious, or topical. An overgrown fairy story, a philological curiosity. That is, that is then what Lord of the Rings really is. The pretentiousness is all on the part of Dr. Tolkien's infatuated admirers, and it is these pretensions that I would hear assail. <clears throat> well. <laughs> it doesn't um, uh, make me happy. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's um, uh, someone uh, who, wrote, who, who wrote about that article, referred to it as the ultimate killjoy review. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with that. Yeah, I'm... Um, uh, yeah. Now, uh, on 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 the point of you know, um, so except when he's being pedantic and also boring the adult reader, I mean, like I I love his his pedantism. Like, yes, Tolkien was a pedant, and I love it. Like, it it shows. Like, it really shows in in the world. And I'm I'm gonna I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna go over that in a second because I have more on the article to read about the point of him being pedantic. Um. Uh, but also in the part that said, um, uh, he said there, there's little in Lord of the Rings over the head of a seven-year-old child. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that statement, but I don't view it as a bad thing, right? Like, my, I, I could read this book to my child when he's, you know, four, five, six years old. I could read this book to him, and he could, for the most part, understand everything that was going on in it. And he would love the adventure, and, he, and I would love reading it to him because I love the adventure. Because it's a fantastic story, but written so simply that, yes, even a child could get it. And that is beautiful. It takes an extremely good author to be able to do that. To write a good story that you can enjoy as an adult, and also uh, you would love as a seven-year-old child. I'm going to um, uh, uh, give a review for The Hobbit from um, uh, uh, from C.S. Lewis. Um, uh and this is for the, for the Hobbit, but it applies to Lord of the Rings, too. He said, uh, in his review, he said, It must be understood that this is a children's book only in the sense that the first of many readings can be undertaken in the nursery. Alice is read gravely by children and with laughter by grown-ups. The Hobbit, on the other hand, will be funnier to its youngest readers, and only years later, at a 10th or 20th reading, will they begin to realize what deft scholarship and profound reflection have gone into making everything in it so ripe, so friendly, and in its own way, so true. Pretty much spot on. Yeah, uh, well, obviously, C.S. Lewis said everything he said was spot on. Uh, this, is like, <laughs> this, is, this is the truth. Yeah, C.S. Lewis is, is is the only is the only other contender for most intelligent writer of the 20th century. <clears throat> but for, um, for my two cents, sure. Yeah, <clears throat> um, uh, and yeah. So uh, um, uh, another thing that he mentioned, and th this show this shows where he's coming from. Is that certainly has no allegorical intentions, uh, including religious allegorical intentions. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to um uh, make a statement. Uh, by Tolkien himself, and then something else by Brent Weeks, because man, Brent Weeks has a lot to say about the Lord of the Rings, and it's all good. Um, uh, 
But, well, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So here, here's here's what Tolkien. Yeah, Brent Weeks is a fantastic epic fantasy author, so of course he's going to love Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, here's what Tolkien said about um uh, about you know creating a myth, which is what he did with Lord of the Rings. He said, we have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light, the eternal truth that is with God. Indeed, only by myth-making, only by becoming sub-creator and inventing stories, can man aspire to the state of perfection that he knew before the fall. Makes it sound like he writes myths, uh, you know, that uh, all, all myths that he writes are a form of allegory. That's what that it sounds like. You're that way. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and then um, uh, uh, Brent Weeks said, if Tolkien didn't invent the U catastrophe, he at least coined it. He said, and Tolkien's insistence upon the U catastrophe at all times, as opposed to the disc catastrophe, um, uh, Tolkien's insistence upon using a U catastrophe at, uh, in all of his stories, he said, um, uh, he said that almost certainly has to stem from his beliefs and and viewpoint as a christian man you know and like if this guy like you know brent weeks is definitely not a christian man himself but he noticed that you know that christianity was influencing what tolkien was writing so how can you possibly say you know how how can anyone be so stupid as to say there are obviously no allegorical intentions Right. You see, you see, and that right there, and I'll make this a very quick point because it's very off topic. This mm-hmm. is how you can tell um, that there is an intelligent commentary happening here from him, uh, as opposed to this article written by the individual we're reading. If um, one of my one of my favorite, um, whether you want to call it a debate or a discussion, doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. is between um, Dr. Jordan Peterson and mm-hmm. um, um, Sam Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people who have two ideologically very different viewpoints when it comes to, um, so for instance, this conversation was about uh, the moral of ethics and the moral of, uh, and, and the, and the um, uh, shall we say, um, the real essence and beginning of right and wrong. And of course, Sam Harris is debating uh, against the concept of it being religiously influ- influenced and, and that religion uh, um, shouldn't be considered uh, as the basis, and 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 you have two people arguing against each other, but two people who have the utmost respect for each other's opinion because they realize, wow, I'm talking to an extremely intelligent person, and they behave as such. And mm-hmm. then you have what you just read is the same way, yeah. But then you have this article, <laughs> yes, and that 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 that's that's the problem though. Like I will say this, uh, his review doesn't really show it other than his wording and the way he speaks. Edmund Wilson seems like a very, very smart man, but he also seems, as an Edmund Wilson seems like a very, very smart man, but also his, he lets ideal, uh, his strange, like I said, Freudian and Marxist ideologies get in the way of his intelligence when he's speaking, it seems. Um, uh, uh, and he's also, uh, from something that he wrote, he's also kind of a prick, but, um, uh, and and maybe that's what it is. he's just a, he's just a constant downer. Maybe that's what it is. He just can't be happy. But um, uh, I'm 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 one of the uh, like you know I I don't th- this wasn't talking about Edmund Wilson specifically or anything that he said. But um, uh, I'm reading this and I I like to think of um uh, Romans one twenty two when reading any of Edmund Wilson's works. The uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So the next thing that's said. Um, and it goes back to Tolkien being pedantic, which I'll, I, I like, um, uh, is the next sentence of the article. 
says, Tolkien's obsessional describing of a fictional landscape borders on the autistic, as does the almost total absence of women or sophisticated emotion from his work. Um, okay, so uh, that we, we, we got that cut down into, you know, we got it in, into, into two parts. Um, uh, uh, the first thing is the Tolkien's obsessional describing of a fictional landscape borders on the autistic, uh, which is obviously a good thing. Yeah, by far. Um, um, yeah, let's see. Let, 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 let's get this quote here. Um, uh, a quote here from W.H. Alden. No previous writer has created an imaginary world, an, an imaginary, an imaginary world, and a feigned history, as in such detail. By the time the reader has finished the trilogy, including the appendices to this last volume, he knows as much about Tolkien's Middle-earth, its landscape, its fauna and flora, its peoples, their languages, their history, their cultural habits as, outside his special field, he knows about the actual world. It is a world of intelligible law, not mere wish. The reader's sense of the credible is never violated. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much perfect. I mean, it's one of the very, very, very few perfect fictional worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there have been there have been a few others, but none that were created by one one man. Yeah, um, uh, no, it, it, it's pretty incredible. And also, the, the the almost complete absence of women is borderline funny. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, uh, 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 yeah. I, I made it. I made a note referencing the uh, complete absence of women. Where did I put that here? Here we go. Yeah. Um, uh, com complete absence of women, and it also says sophisticated emotion. There's no such thing as sophisticated emotion, right? It's there's emotion, and that's it. You know, like if you if, if if you see emotion, you can tell someone is feeling something. That's that's that. Like, what what's a sophisticated emotion? Like, oh, I am, uh, I I'm very angry right now, but I'm looking at you and smiling because I'm a hoe. <laughs> Yeah, is that a sophisticated emotion? Because you appear to not be feeling what you're feeling. If well, so, I that's think, retarded. There, there, I think there's someone. I think there's somewhere later in this uh, article where they actually reference. Well, I wish people would start reading Tolstoy. Really? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of that that reflects all of that to me because they're just they're just saying like of all the things you're going to compare it to. So you're taking like the greatest literary fiction of all time, arguably, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that is recognized as such. And you're, that's like, that's what saying a sophisticated emotion is just trying to appeal to someone else to try to, this person's trying to pretend to be smarter. So like, oh, if you really cared about literature, you'd just read Tolstoy. Go, oh, you suck. Yeah. You just suck. I can tell from reading that sentence, I hate you. I know it. Yeah. And, um, uh, now, like, if, coming from about any other person, uh, the way the person, the, 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 the way Tolstoy's mentioned before, I would have said they were just throwing out random author, random 20th century authors um, uh, to say, well, you read this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, because they did say anyone but Tolkien. And so I, I would, uh, coming from anyone else, I would say that was just the person's attempt to just name another 20th century <coughs> author. But the, the, the pretense behind everything that this imbecile is saying, uh, I, I, agree with, I agree with you on that. Yeah, they now, said Tolstoy on purpose. That was, yeah. that was like, they, they started writing this article, they were like, I gotta say Tolstoy. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, but yeah, they, um, uh, uh, referring, referring to the, the total absence of women. So the, 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 there are two things on that. The first one is, you know, this, um, uh, uh, the, the, 
the, the, the first one is the apparent lack of women for the most part throughout the adventure itself. Um, uh, like, it, it, it's, it's established that this... Oh, like, it's, it's not really established, because it, it, it didn't say in the book. Oh, by the way, this is, um, uh, you know, th th this takes place in a, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon, you know, you know, you know pre-Anglican, old-school, um, uh, uh, old-school Europe is when this is based on. Uh, it doesn't say that, but you, you can tell that's what it's based on. <laughs> and there's something very interesting about, you know, because that's, that's the time period that Professor Tolkien studied. There's something very interesting about that, and that was, um, uh, it wasn't typically common for women to go on adventures in those days. Like, it's, it, it's, it's accurate to the, to the, the, what he's writing about, that there wouldn't be several women. And, oh yeah, let, let, let's also forget that there's one particular bad guy who's like, of all the people who can be truly physically defeated, the most powerful of all those people, and let's not forget that that person was killed by a woman. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's the point I was just about to make. You have, yeah. who is arguably the second-in-command bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that's who was killed by a woman. So, I mean, like, really? That's who you're going to point to that as being one of your, like, oh, this is one of my big critiques of this paper. Like, you didn't even read the book. Yeah. I'm, uh... And that, I'm, uh... uh and we're also going to talk about uh, Eowyn and Dernhelm again later. I'm, uh... During, during another time, but I don't know. I like, like, is everything this person says like comes from just such a disingenuous standpoint? Oh like, yeah. Well, this is this is someone who just wants to 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 masquerade as an intellect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's stupid. <clears throat> now, but, but now now for the sentence. Are you ready for this sentence? This is gonna kill me. Is it the racist one? No. The Lord of the Rings isn't loved because it's a good novel, but because it taps into some of the most atavistic and ugly impulses of our times. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to make comment about that sentence in particular because he goes on to explain what he means, and I'm going to go get I'm going to go get his explanation. Um, uh, so I'm going to read this entire paragraph because right because you know, the first sentence is the most obvious is racism. And then he explains what he means by that. So I'll I'll listen to his entire explanation with its context before I say anything. That's that, that, that's fair. He 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 wouldn't he wouldn't give me that, but I'll give him that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The most obvious is racism. The purely evil orcs are, in Tolkien's words, squat, flat-nosed, sallow-skinned, with wide mouths and slant eyes. The enemy is the Dark Lord, and he lives in the Black Land. The heroic hobbits and elves are, by contrast, uber Aryan and ethnic impure. Ideals of blood and its purity are always sloshing around his narrative. For example, the men of Gondor, the High Men, are descendants of the Numenorians, the greatest of all warriors. Over the centuries, they have become degraded because of breeding with inferior races. When their bloodline is pure, as in Aragorn's descendants, the strength of the original Lords of the West is retained. Okay, so starting off, the purely evil orcs are squat, flat-nosed, sallow-skinned, with wide mouths and slant eyes. So there's a, very, there's a particular reason for that, right? And that's because this is, in Tolkien's own words, a fairy tale. And what's, what, what, what's a common theme that you see in fairy tales about the bad guys? They're ugly. <laughs> the bad guys are ugly. You know these are bad because they're ugly to the extent that, like, there is, like, legitimate... 
racism, um, uh, not in the book, but like addressed in the book, with the um, uh, with, with with the Druidine later, and we're, again we're going to talk about those later when we talk about the the Tolkien Society, but with 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 the Druidine, like these people are considered by the the elves and some of the other people until they interact with them and realize these are good people. They're considered to be subhuman because they're ugly. Like, it's mentioned that there is racism, and it's addressed in saying, hey, we were wrong about these people. <laughs> and, and, and this is, and this is to, and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to when we look into our next article. Uh -huh. um, but just, just to touch on it briefly now, this is the, the, the that type of person <clears throat> whose goal in life is to find something, like, what's something that a lot of people like? And how is it racist? Right? Uh -huh. I mean, like, that's your entire, the entire point is to find a thing and then try to point out all the ways in which you dug so deeply mm -hmm. and greatly. Haha. -ha. Um, but you tried, you're trying, your only goal is to find out what you can say about it that's wrong. Like, that, uh -huh. that you had to reach, like, saying, like, oh, the Dark Lord in the Dark Land. It's because black is associated with evil. Yeah, and also, if, if nothing else, if you go to a landscape, right, Mordor is described as being a, a black land, like literally black. If you go to a landscape and it's black, the ground is black, that's black, the first thing you think of is this place is dead. And that's, that's the whole point. Right of the plains of Gorgor is like, look, wow, like because it's meant like you, know, you don't see this in Lord of the Rings, but you know that was at one point there used to be a lake there, and then after the lake was drained, there was life there, and then Sauron came and killed everything. He's so evil that he destroys life. Like that's the point of it. Feel, like it's literally black. And beyond that, like, how in the world do you assume that that's racist? Like, well, it's black, and people who don't like black people are racist. That's the that's like an Olympic level leap to get between those two things. I mean, that is true though. If you like, you know, you you, you don't like black people because they're black, that is racist. I'll I'll give them that. It, that's the thing. But <laughs> you have to you have to literally go from people who don't like black people are racist. People in this book don't like this black land. Therefore, Tolkien, who wrote about them, is racist. It's like those people saying crayons are racist because the black crayon says negro in Spanish. Yeah, that, that was a thing for a while. It's incredible. But yeah, I think we're, we're, I think we're talking too much about something we're about to talk about. Yeah. I'm uh, mentioning this uh, again, though. Uh, it says the, the Hurlocopis and Elves are, by contrast, uber-Aryan and ethnically pure. I'm... Uh, Hobbits are described, right? Like, uh, not so much in the... Uh, in the appendices they are, but not so much in the book itself with Lord of the Rings. They are described very well in The Hobbit. Um, uh... Right? Um, uh... But they're mentioned... Um, uh... It, it, yeah, well, I, I, I guess... So, here, here we go. Um, uh... Uh, the, the Hobbits are mentioned as being uber-Aryan. Uh, so, Aryan, there are two potential meanings, um, uh, uh, the, 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 there are two potential meanings for Aryan. The first is, and I assume that's not what this person means, otherwise it completely destroys his narrative, it refers to persons and language from Indo-Persia, ancient Indo-Persia. I don't think that's what this person is referring to when he says Aryan. I'm gonna go with no. Yeah. The other thing it refers to is, quote, Nordicism racism. 
which is the concurrence of somewhat wavy hair, light eyes, reddish skin, tall stature, and a dolichocephalic skull, which is head that is long and narrow. Okay, so now, remember that. Wavy hair, light eyes, reddish skin, tall stature, and a uh, hair that is long and narrow. Alright, now let's, let's get the description of hobbits from The Hobbit. They are, or were, a little people, about half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves, with thick, warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads, which is curly, have long, clever brown fingers, and good-natured faces. Literally the opposite of the definition of Aryan. <laughs> yeah, because, and beyond that, it, it, when people are saying, like, oh, the Aryan and the Aryan, you are immediately thinking of neo-Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. That's what that's what people are inferring. They may not yeah. come out and say it, but we all know that's what it means, because they know that's what it means. Yeah. You're talking about Hitler's definition of the Aryan race. We're like, all right, I want these six-foot-two, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, yada, yada, yada. No, none of mm -hmm. that is even remotely close. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and then uh, referring to the, um, uh, it said like you know they they, they became the men the Numenorians became degraded because of breeding with inferior races. Uh, there's never a mention that the uh, th that the other Edain, uh besides the the, the Dunedain, the, that they were inferior races. It's implied that people think the Druidine are inferior, but they're not. Like, but th there's nothing to say that the. Um, uh, uh, that that the other men are inferior, like there, there's a very particular reason, right, why the men become less long lived or shorter lived. I guess is a better way of saying it. Shorter lived, not as tall, um, not as strong, not as cool as they are as they as they, they mix with other men. That's because, right? It's the you know, uh, Elros, you know, um, uh, became a human, but he was an extremely elvish human because he was still half elven. And his descendants were humans that were extremely elvish. And so the more you bring in a, a, a man that isn't el an elvish man, just a man, the more like a man you'll become and the less like an elf you'll become. Like, yeah, obviously. Like, you know, if I... You know, guess what? If my wife was black, our kid would be less black than her. Because that's what happens. The two things combine, and you become less of both and more of, you know, l l less of what it was and more of what was brought in. <laughs> that's how it, uh, I guarantee you I have a black ancestor at some point, but guess what? I have no black because more and more white was brought in, so I have less and less black. That's, that's, that's racist. <laughs> you know? That's very, uh, that, that's just plain racist. That, that, that's that's stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> and then as soon as I said that, the next sentence, alarm bells ringing yet? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I'm not even gonna give the, I'm not even gonna give the next sentence uh, the satisfaction of reading it. Um, uh, <laughs> it's just it's just it gets stupider from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, the, 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 there's a lot of stupidity here. Um, I am gonna mention this. This is the last thing that we're really going to talk about in this article, and then we're going to jump to the last and and, and see what see what he says. Um, uh, uh, it, 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 oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to read it verbatim um, uh, because it's the the last three paragraphs are all about one particular thing, uh, and so I'm just going to kind of I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this. 
Um, uh, it said, uh, the U.S. and Israeli far right have tried to use the Lord of the Rings to promote their West versus the rest worldview. Um, uh, which is which is stupid. Uh, because it says, uh, another person said, as Sam and Frodo make their way across the bleak hostile land of Mordor to destroy the Ring of Power, their campaigns in the West rally a coalition of tribes to wage war against Sauron's minions living among them. Uh, so we are fortunate to have these books in the present moment. This, this is a quote from a decent person. We are fortunate to have these books in the, pres the present moment to give us hope and a reason to dig for the long fight ahead. Um, uh, and that, that was, um, uh, uh, and the person said, uh, it said, the popularity of this reading of the story reminds us of the terrible wrong direction the war on terror could take. And this shows how old the article is. And one that thankfully has been avoided by the Bush administration thus far. So this is during oh, Bush's presidency. Wow. Um, uh, uh, Bush did 9-11. Um, uh, <laughs> it do be like that. Yeah, and, and, and so here's, here's, here's what it says. It says, Tolkien presents with an absolute enemy who must simply be destroyed, purely evil and incapable of feeling. It said, but the majority of the people on the other side agreed with us and sought freedom from their dictators. Okay, so here, here's the point I want to make with that. Yes. Yes. But the war on terror was not against Iraqi civilians. Right? A few of them died, and it shouldn't have happened, and, you know, could any of that have been avoided? Maybe. Um, a few, some of them died accidentally, some of them died in ways that shouldn't have happened. I get that. But, here, here's, here, here's, here's a problem with that. These people, those people on the other side who want freedom from the dictators, those weren't our enemy. Our enemies were the terrorists and the, ideo and the ideology of those terrorists, right? And there's something interesting about that. Um, uh, fighting is terrorism, communism. Our enemy is those people who fight for those ideals and those ideals themselves. Because terrorism, fascism, communism themselves are the enemy. And something about our enemy being terrorism, fascism, and communism... That enemy is purely evil and incapable of feeling. So yeah, yes, yeah. our enemy in this case is purely evil and incapable of feeling because our enemy isn't the people who don't like that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that this is where the argument gets even more. They're try, trying to be philosophical and trying to be idealistic, and it's failing utterly. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one one more thing before we stop talking about this article, um. Uh, uh, Tolkien himself said that he uh, he admitted that he was not a Democrat, as if that were a bad thing. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I'm not a Democrat, right? Um, uh, I'm hardly Oz. On from what you think of as the political spectrum, I'm not. I'm I'm definitely not a Republican. I hate them as much as I hate the Democrats. But like, in my belief system, do I believe like what what sort of government do I want? A republic is what I would want. So I'm a Republican in that sense, but definitely not a democracy, right? Okay, so here we go. Because I'm because if I don't like someone, I'm gonna say from the, the start that I don't like this person. I hate Osho. Also, I want to give a quote from Osho. Because it describes, it perfectly describes what it means to be a Democrat and then believing in a democracy. This is a quote from Osho. Democracy is basically a government by the people, of the people, for the people. But the people are retarded. Well, to be fair. Yeah, that's, you know... I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I, I kind of do, dominated the, um, uh, the, 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 the communism bit. Um, uh, uh, I, I, you know, 
<clears throat> I guess I should have addressed this in the beginning. I'm the one with five pages of notes, and I expected most of what you to say to just be a reaction to, to, to my autistic research. This is true. Also, OSHA's, there's a very, very long, it's worth mentioning, mm -hmm. that particular excerpt came from a pretty long speech that was mm -hmm. uh, not exactly Western, shall we say. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, OSHA is, is he, 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 was, he was an Indian godman. Is it godman or godman? I think it's godman. God, godman? Yeah. An Indian godman. Um, uh, and he, um, uh. Anyone, anyone who elevates themselves to that position, I can't like. Um, uh, like, not not necessarily because, you know, people. Um, uh, uh, not necessarily because, you know, I don't think people should be elevated to the point where they're worshipped as a god or as godlike. He was full of himself, and I didn't like it. Um, uh, yeah. Off, cough, the pope, moving on. Yeah. Um, uh, so the very last paragraph here is only two sentences. Yes, it might seem absurd to take Tolkien so seriously. But the worlds to which we choose to escape reveal a lot about us. They sure do. So please, when it comes <laughs> to the big read, vote for Salinger, Tolstoy, Bronte, anyone but Tolkien. Now, I love that. I love the ending so much because the last mm -hmm. little bit is anyone but Tolkien. But I'm going to bring up the three people that make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Mm hmm Because you could have said, if you were saying anyone but Tolkien, you could have, you could have at least made it funny, right? Mm -hmm. You could have said, hey... You should read, I don't know, if you're really trying to make, you're driving this ridiculous point so hard, like, read Mein Kampf before you read Tolkien. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I, was, I was just about to say, vote, vote for the, the Communist Manifesto before you vote for Lord of the Rings. You know? See, see, like, and that would have been, like, that would have been funny, at least, but it's like, mm, yeah. you should read these well, people that I read in college. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, here's, here's the thing, like, if I was going to, like, try to sound somewhat intellectual... Um, uh, I I still wouldn't pick Tolstoy. Like, uh, like if if I if I was on the left, and I would want to sound intellectual, I still wouldn't pick Tolstoy, right? Because you immediately are shown as being pretentious. If you, oh, if you say Tolstoy, like I like, and and so now you've given yourself away. Like I had to pick Ernest Hemingway. You know. <laughs> Yeah, something that's like hmm. much less pretentious. Still a horrible person, but much less pretentious. <laughs> Which, by the way, perfect segue since reading this made me want to blow my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this introductory episode and next episode, which is going to be on the Tolkien Society Summer Seminar of 2021, much more recent, is going to make up our season zero, as it were, um, uh, before we get into our big topics. Uh, so, please join us next week as we, that's, as we talk about the, the thing I just said we're going to talk about. Yeah, and if you thought that we were racist or bigoted after listening to this one, just wait until the next one. <laughs>